Let's go ahead and get into this little conversation tonight. Last week, um, we just kind of walked through 15 reasons why prayer may be answered either in a way you don't expect or feel like it's just not answered at all. I know many of you are not able to be here because you don't own pontoon boats, and there was no other way to get here last week. So if you missed it and you want to uh, watch that, it's online both on YouTube as well as our podcast, and uh, those are available for free. You just get them, pass them on to whoever as well. But what I want to do tonight, because you know, sometimes when we talk about the difficulties of prayer, the, the thing that we may be left with, and I don't want anyone to be left with this, is, okay, now what? You've given me 15 reasons or 15 um, possibilities as to why things are not cl- clicking or, or perhaps so I can understand better what's really going on in prayer. But now, what? And so what I want to do tonight is I just want us to walk together through seven sort of practical next steps. Some of these, if you picked up the Connection magazine from January, I'm pulling from the article I wrote from that, so you will get a review of some of it. Uh, there's a few things that are not from there that sort of been processing more throughout the time these past four weeks I want to share with you tonight. <clears throat> this will be a more fun time together if you will interrupt me with your own thoughts. So if you think of something brilliant or mildly amusing, it doesn't matter. Just kind of jump out there, raise your hand, and we'll talk. But I want to walk you through, what do you do? How do you pray when you don't know what to say? When life kicks you in the teeth, when you get a horrible diagnosis, when someone that you have committed your life to says they don't want to be in it anymore, when children walk away, when life falls apart, how do you pray when you don't know what to say? So I want to give you seven things, just real practical, and we'll kind of walk through these. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going to the text quite a bit tonight. So here's the first thing, um, because I think it's important that we maybe just admit that there are times it's hard to pray. So the first thing is simply this, how to pray when you don't know what to say. I think the first thing, we've already sort of alluded to this during our series, but it's just simply this word, be silent, be silent, be silent. You say, how is that going to help you pray? Well, here's the good news. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, because you do not pray alone. I'm taking you back now to about three weeks ago, but Romans chapter 8. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. Very good. And he's writing, seriously, good job. So in Rome, and one of the things he's talking about is how in Jesus, there's now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. It's like, yay, Jesus, yay, Jesus. But chapter 8 is this beautiful chapter, not just about Jesus, although everything is about Jesus, it is also about the Holy Spirit. And one of the coolest things is, you know, I've, I've now been a Christ follower, uh, let's see, almost three decades, not quite, Uh, 29 years this September, and there are things that I'm seeing now. I'm like, wow, and here's one of them. I had never noticed up until just a few years ago the role that the Holy Spirit plays in my prayer life. We talked about this, but the Holy Spirit, verse 26, look at what it says here. This is so cool. When you don't know what to pray, how do you pray? What do you say? Here's the cool thing. Verse 26, Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit, uppercase S, because it's the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Who in here needs help sometimes in weakness? I do. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, meaning God knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, I'm going to come back to that, in accordance with God's will. So here's the first one. When you don't know what to say, here's the beautiful promise. You don't have to have the right words for God to know your heart, because the Holy Spirit is actively interceding on your behalf. And it's not like, how many of you like things that are just automatic? You, you, you just like set it once and then it just automatically works for you. You don't have to think about it again. It's not like your VCR. Wait, okay, I'm sorry. Actually, this crowd, you know, VCRs, right? Okay. Yeah, depending on my crowd. Okay, I'm sorry, not a VCR. Let me explain. Like an iPod. Okay. But a VCR, you have to set it, but if there's ever a problem, you have to do what? Reset it. Here's the great thing with the Holy Spirit. You don't set the Spirit. He automatically intercedes no matter what's going on. Meaning in the moment when you don't know what to say, the Spirit of God is saying, I am here with you. I am with you in this. I am weeping with you, but I'm also telling the Father so he knows your heart, not just your words. When you don't know what to say, you don't need to feel any shame. Just be quiet and let the Father and the Spirit talk together on your behalf. Isn't it good to know that when they talk about you, they're always doing so for your good? Be silent. Here's the second one. We're going to move kind of quick because i got a couple here I want to take a little more time with. But number two, it's not just be silent. What's that? Oh. Oh. Gesundheit, <laughs> by the way. Does anyone know what that uh, German... It bless you, but it, okay, a little etymology here. It came from this idea that a demon was leaving your body, and so they were basically a blessing over you because, congrats, the demon's no longer in your body. So, congratulations, you're demon-free. <laughs> Be silent. Number two, if you don't know what to say, be brief. Be brief. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 6 when he's talking about prayer. Remember, he says, don't babble on like the pagans because the pagans think that it's in their many words that God hears them, like you're trying to somehow impress God. Here's the difference between our God and the pagan gods. The pagan gods don't really like you. The pagan gods don't really care about you. In fact, the pagan gods are kind of annoyed with you and Depending on which creation myth we look at, if you want to go to the ancient Mesopotamian one or the Babylonian creation myth, you understand that uh, ours is not the only religion that has a story for how everything came to be. Ours just happens to be true, I believe. So every civilization has a myth or a story of how things came to be. And if you go to any one of these, what you're going to find is that the gods simply created humans or allowed humans to stay on the earth to serve the gods, meaning we are their servants, not because they love us. So the pagans would go to these very mean, vindictive gods, and they would try to beg the gods, or they would try to bribe the gods, or they would try to butter up the gods. It's like, oh, you're such a great god. Oh, you're such a wonderful god, Zeus. Oh, you're so sweet. Don't hurt me. Just help me, right? You don't have to do that with your god. It's an incredible thing. How many of you are parents? Just just show of hands, parents in here. How, how many of you, to love your children or provide for your children what they need, first require that your children know how to speak and do so eloquently enough as to move you to action? You're like, hey, I know we just gave birth to you. I understand that you're a toddler, but for this to work, you've really got to kind of meet me halfway, right? 
No one does that. You do for your child because you love your child. And so we do not babble on because he loves us. Let's go to Luke chapter 18 real quick. I want to show you a story. We've referenced it already in this series, but I think it's worth taking a moment to look at. Luke 18, Jesus is talking about prayer from a different vantage point. And this one in particular, chapter 18, is all about persistence in prayer. We'll get into that here in a moment. But part of that, he tells this parable of a Pharisee, a religious guy, and a tax collector who is seen as the most irreligious Hebrew possible because they've sold out their fealty or their identity with the Hebrew people to instead get money from the Hebrews to give to the oppressive Roman government. And so Jesus tells a parable. By the way, a parable is just a make-believe story with a deep meaning to it. Or as one person puts it, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, okay? And so Jesus tells the story of two people, rich, wealthy, godly, super Christian kind of guy, and someone who's a scumbag. And they both pray. And notice what happens here. This is Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. To some, Jesus says, who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. By the way, how would you like to be the, the, like the visual illustration to someone else's prayer in church? Someone gets up, and dear God, I, I thank you that I'm not like Josh Diggs. Josh, come preach this now. What do you do with that? So I thank you I'm not like any of these people. He says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, and let's all say these words. I don't care if yours are a little different from mine, but let's say this sentence together. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, this man went home justified. He was seen as righteous. By the way, if you ever see the word justified, there's all sorts of deeper meanings. Here's a real simple way to think about it. You are just right in God's sight. You are just right in God's sight. That's justified. And he goes home just right in God's sight. And all he did was say, help me. How long was his prayer? That was brief. One sentence. In fact, here's a, here's a quick practice, okay? Um, when you want to do this, let me give you a practice, and this is one that has been practiced for centuries, but it's called, and I'm going to misspell this, I'm afraid, but does breath have an E at the end or no? No E? Okay, good. <clears throat> Just testing you. It's called a breath prayer, and here's the idea. You basically have a word or at most one sentence that you simply say to the Lord, as frequent as you think of it. It's not, it's not some mantra. It's not some magic word. It's really more, you might, for instance, if perhaps you are just overwhelmed by the need for repentance, you may just say, have mercy. Have mercy. Or, or perhaps you're facing a situation and you don't know what to do. Here's a prayer that I pray regularly. James chapter 1, verse 5, we are told that if anyone lacks wisdom, we should ask God and he'll give it to us. Here's my breath prayer that I pray 
often, because I don't know what to do a lot of times, I just say, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Show me what to do. Let me honor you in what I'm doing. Don't let me fail you. Let me tell you, one of my greatest fears is not that I'll get up and mess up up there. That's already happened. It's going to happen many more times. One of my greatest fears, though, is that I will do something that will, um, that will put a black eye on my Savior Jesus, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And one of the prayers I pray is, God, protect me. Protect me. Because I do not, I'd rather him kill me than to do something that will draw a black X over him or his church. So a breath prayer is just, just as simple. I, I, don't, I don't have much, but God, help me. So here'd be sort of a practice tonight or this week. Consider what's going on in your world. Uh, are, are you in a place of praise? Maybe life tends to be going up and to the right. Praise God for that. That's awesome. Is life more challenging? Where are you in sort of the grid of life? Find where you are and then ask this question. What is one sentence that describes a praise or a request to God? Write it down. And then sometime this week, as you find yourself in moments trying to adjust your thinking, pray that prayer. It doesn't have to be long and it can be in between a sentence with a friend. So you can then pray it. When you don't know what to say, say a breath prayer. Does this make any sense? Questions or comments before we move on here? Smart remarks are allowed as well. Okay. So be silent. Be brief. Number three, this one is, I think, maybe challenging for some of us. I know it is for me at times, but it's one of those, it's, okay, here's, here's the bad word in our house that we're not supposed to say in our house. It's the S word. Stupid. Okay, so that's, that's our bad word. We don't say that word in our house. The kids aren't allowed to say stupid. But, but this one, when you realize and you sort of think through why we allow this one to get in our way, it is kind of stupid. And here's what it is. Are you ready? When, how to pray when you don't know what to say. Here's one. Just be honest with God. How many of us feel like we're almost auditioning for a part when we go and talk to God? This goes back to the, you know, sort of the, the, the idea that you've got to somehow prove yourself. You know, I feel like maybe I'm going to God and I've got to impress him with my prayer. Or, and I've joked with some friends about this, or there are times that I'll be praying and then all of a sudden I'll get this vision that somewhere in heaven there's a scribe writing down my prayer and it's going to be recorded and somehow other people are going to hear it one day. So all of a sudden I think, I've really got to polish this thing up. And I start throwing in the these and the thous and oh thouest father and, and I beseech thee. And uh, Here's the reality. Talk as you would talk to a friend. And one of the ways you and I would talk to a friend is we are honest about what we are actually experiencing. We don't pretend like we're experiencing one thing when it's something else. I'll tell you, one of the greatest books of the Bible is the Psalms. Have you ever read the Psalms of David? He is like a manic depressive. On one page, how great is our God. He is wonderful. Next page, why are you leaving me alone? And he just goes up and down. And you say, dude, get on some medication because this cannot be healthy. But here's what I love about David. He is honest with God. 
Do you think he is ever pulling his punches with the Lord on how he feels, what he's thinking, what he's worried about? He spills his emotions from his mouth and pen like we do water from the tap. It just bubbles out of him. And here's one of the things, I think one of the reasons we don't talk to God is because we think that we may be, well, we may be offensive to God or we may be disrespectful. And there's a way to speak to God with respect. But honestly, here's what you do. If you want permission to talk to God, go read what David says and say, wow, if he said that, maybe I can be honest as well. Let me show you one. Everyone go with me to Psalm 22, verse 1. This is a familiar phrase, but not because David penned it rather because of where we find it later in Scripture. But Psalm 22. Psalm, by the way, the Psalms were the early church's hymnal and prayer book. In fact, many traditions today, they still have a book of common prayers, and they use the Psalms morning and evening every day. And the way they use that is you go through all 150 Psalms uh, in about a month to six weeks because this is such a part of who we are. And so notice what David writes in Psalm 22, verse 1. Tell me if this sounds familiar. These are the words of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who do we hear that from later, church? And yet, who first spoke that plainly to God? David. Now, did God really abandon David? Did he ever just kind of turn his back, walk off, go to the kitchen in heaven, get himself a sandwich and say, play nice for a few minutes? Did God ever do that to David? No. But David was able to express himself. What do you got, brother? I'm sorry? Yet Jesus, you're right. Jesus said the same thing that David said here. That's right. That's right. And so what you're going to see here is David speaks very plainly about things. So here's, here's a great practice. I've, I'm not really, this is a struggle for me, I'll be frank. I wish I were like one of those great journalers. You know, people who just, they, every morning they get up and they get their quill out, dip it in a little ink, and they just write these beautiful prose. And they have, I, I'm not like that. I struggle with having that kind of discipline to write every day. But what I've found is when I begin to write my thoughts, even if it's just sort of bullet points, it's the way I think, the way I sort of write that it's helping me to speak more authentically to God. And as I read the scriptures, specifically the Psalms, do you know what is, what's begun to happen is my vocabulary for prayer. This is what you were saying earlier with the prayers, having different prayers that we can pray. It helps us think bigger of what we pray for. It's amazing. As I read the Psalms, all of a sudden, when I don't know what to say, I begin to see lots of things to say because his words become my words. Does this make any sense? Uh, let me tell you, sort of just as an aside, and I'll probably share this a hundred more times before our time in ministry together is up in 800 years from now. Uh, my daddy had quadruple heart bypass surgery when I was 10. He was 40 years old. As he jokes, he was overweight. He looked like an unmade bed. He was out of shape, and he went in for emergency surgery, and I remember I was terrified that my dad was going to die. I've shared this, I think, before, but um, a day or two before he went into surgery, he was at work, and I got a call. This is back before we had these wonderful cordless phones, and so I remember uh, I had to sit near 
the actual telephone, and it had one of those really long, twirly lines that you could sort of play with, and I always mess them up. My mom always got mad at me. It was great. So I sat on the fireplace that my mom and dad had in this little den. It was a brick fireplace. I sat up there right above the little space with all the logs, and dad says, hey, buddy, get your Bible. I want to show you something. So I got my Bible. It was this massive thing I've still got in my office. It was my baptism Bible. When I, when I was saved, that's the Bible I was given. And so I pull it out. I open it up. And he says, hey, I want to show you something I just saw today really for the first time. I said, yeah, what's that? He said, let's go to Psalms. And he took me to Psalms 91. And it's become one of the, one of the heartbeat passages from my life because we're promised that those who rest in the shadow of the Almighty, those who trust God, we are secure in him. And it talks about how he will command his angels concerning you that you will not strike your foot against a stone, but you will tread upon the cobra and the, serp- er, and the lion. You will trample the great snake and the lion. Because he loves me, it says later, I will save him, says the Lord. And I love this. So God, to through, or David, speaking to God, he articulates during a difficult time how even in tough times, God is with him. And so Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, my dad reads this to a 10-year-old boy, and that began to be something that I could then pray to God, God, you are my hiding place. Under your wings, I find shelter. That no matter what is outside my tent, you ultimately, you ultimately will bring me home safely. Maybe not in this life, but the next. And it gives me something to say when I don't know what to pray. All right, let's move. Number four. This one is not plagiarism, it's borrowing, okay? Borrow. If you don't know what to say, just borrow other people's prayers. This goes back to the Psalms and others. Uh, again, let's go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 47, although we may not need to because you know this one by heart. Matthew twenty-seven forty-seven. And uh, if your Bible's like mine, where Jesus' words are in red, and this is red letter stuff. So notice what Jesus says. Tell me if this sounds familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where did we just hear that? Jesus is borrowing from David. Okay, church, if it's good enough for Jesus, is it good enough for us? If Jesus can borrow the prayers of other people, can you borrow the prayers of other people? This means that if you don't know what to say, lift a prayer from the scriptures or lift a prayer from what you've heard a friend say or pray. Allow the prayers of the church throughout history, even into scripture, allow that to inform what you say. If you don't know what to say, borrow from another person. By the way, how many of us were taught to pray based on what our mamas and daddies said growing up? Anyone think back to that time maybe when, when you kind of figured out the pattern to prayer because it's whatever your mom or dad did? Or, or is that guy at church who every Sunday he always led the closing prayer or he always did the communion thought or he always, and it was always the same. There's a man that Amy and I know growing up named, um, oh gracious, Weldon Rickman. I about had a senior moment there. And uh, in fact, when he passed away, um, his name was Weldon, and he was this super servant in the church. And so when he passed away, I remember the eulogy. 
someone made the point, he said, hey, when he, just now, as Weldon has gone to the other side, I can almost hear it now, God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we all, oh, that's great. But Weldon, Weldon, when he would pray, when he would pray, he had two or three things he would always say. He would say, uh, he would talk about, you know, a hedge of protection around us. How many of you remember the hedge of protection prayers? Did you not grow up in the same church I grew up in? And so you learn from others, and that is not a bad thing, to learn how to pray from others. So if you don't know what to pray, borrow the prayers of others. It's okay. All right, let's move on here. Let me give you just a couple more here. I hope this is helping someone here tonight. Number five, this one, I, I will be frank, is I think the hardest one on this list. But when you don't know how to pray, sometimes the most important thing you can do is be open with other Christians. Christianity is a, is a team sport. It's sort of like football versus tennis. Unless you're playing doubles, it's a singular sport. Or maybe even better, it's like football versus golf. Football, of course, being God's sport, golf is of the devil. And so, you know, football, you do it with a group. Golf, you just get mad, break stuff as it goes in the water. If you're a golfer, God bless you. But church is a team sport. We don't do this alone. This is one of the reasons that when people give their lives to Jesus, we do it publicly. We are in this together. Amen? You are not alone. I'm not alone. We're not strangers in a room. We are family. And one of the things, when I cannot pray, the scriptures teach us, you go to those in your family and say, pray for me. James chapter 5. Quickly, let's move there. James chapter 5. This is, again, New Testament, near the end of the New Testament Bible. James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. You say half? Yes, he was the biological son of Joseph and Mary. Jesus is only the biological son of Mary and of God, right? So half-brother, James. The, by the way, how would you have liked to have grown up with Jesus as your sibling? How many of us know we would have heard at least once growing up, well, why can't you be more like your brother? So James, he writes this to a church, chapter 5, verse 13, and then we'll kind of get down to context. Verse 13 says, is any one of you in trouble? He should what? Pray. Is anyone happy? What should he do, church? Sing songs of praise. Did you know that your songs are a prayer to the Lord if it is about God? That's why when you sing on Sunday, think about what you're saying, because if it's a praise song, you are not just making words, you are talking to God. It is a prayer. He goes on. Is any one of you sick? He should call who? Who? The elders, the appointed leaders of the church, we are led by five of the finest men I've ever met. And they pray for our members regularly. They will anoint you with oil if you would so choose. You say, what's that about oil? It is symbolic in Scripture, oil. This is kind of an interesting little thing. Oil in Scripture had a couple purposes. Number one, oil was poured over the head of one who is to be crowned king or put into a position of prominence. Understand, you're a child of God who is the king of the universe. What does that make you? Royalty. You are a prince or princess. 
And the anointing is simply a way of reminding both you and sign to God, this is one of your kids, they are special. The other thing, though, is that oil in the ancient world was used as medicine. It was not simply symbolic, but if you were sick, oil was one of the things that they would use to kind of soothe muscles and help you feel better. So what this is also saying is, listen, if you're sick, get medical help as well. You don't honor God by ignoring medical science. You can pray and do the medicine thing. It doesn't dishonor God, okay? But he says, so go receive prayer. But then notice this. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If, here's an interesting thing, he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to whom? Now this is an interesting point, and I'm not getting Catholic on you here, so hang with me, okay? But you notice he does not simply say, pray to God. You can do that, and you ought to. But he does something here that I think many Christians never take advantage of. And I will tell you, I have avoided it in times of my life because of pride or because of fear. Pride, oh no, what will they think of me? Fear, oh no, what will they think of me? But notice what he says here. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for who? Each other. So that what? You may be healed. A friend of mine, theologian, made this statement. He said, we pray to God for forgiveness because only God forgives. Amen? Okay? We pray to God for forgiveness, but we talk to one another for healing. There are things that you have done and that I have done that although God has forgiven me for and forgiven you, isn't it true that there are times that we need someone to hear the same thing and say, Believe your own theology, Josh. God has forgiven you. Haven't you had times where you needed someone to confirm what Scripture says and say, yes, you are okay in God's sight. Remember your theology. Confession is one of the ways, talking to others is one of the ways that we are able to reconnect with God. But it's not just when we've sinned or messed up. Here's the reality. There are days where I just need to hear someone else talking to God on my behalf and know that I am not alone. This is why we do prayer time at the end of our services so that no one's ever alone. But you can find hope and healing and say, this is what I'm going through. I know God loves me. I just need to hear another human say that God loves me. Can you do that? Absolutely. And then let's pray. When you don't know what to pray, here's what you say. Two final things, and then we're going to call it a night. If we're going to be open with others about the things going on, it's kind of disingenuous of Josh to confess issues and yet continue on in those issues, correct? It's like, oh, dear God, if I love eating, and I have been a glutton at times in my life. It would be disingenuous to say, oh, I'm so sorry for that. Oh, I'm so sorry for overeating. Oh, I'm just so, boy, this is good. Oh, at some point, push away from the table. Same with any sin. Anything that you have allowed to become your boss, you say, I'm sorry, but you still let it be your boss. That is not repentance. That is not change. So here's the other thing. How to pray when you don't know what to say? Be obedient. Psalm 66, 18. David Again, I just, I've learned so much from my big brother in the faith, David. 
And this is one of the things that he says, Psalm 66, 18, if you want to turn there quickly. We looked at this last week, but I kind of want to just put a spotlight on it for 30 seconds here. This is the, these are the words of David. He says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So David is making an interesting point here. He is making this statement that if I am choosing to live in rebellion, God is kind of going, well, why are you talking to me if you're not going to listen to what I say? Again, go back to being a parent. Your son, your daughter come to you. Dad, mom, want some advice? Well, you didn't listen to my advice last time. Why do you want my advice this time? At some point, you have to ask the question, am I obeying what I am being told to do? But then there's this other side to it as well. It's not that he's not going to stiff arm you and keep you at bay. Have you ever noticed that when, when maybe you've done something um, against another person, even if the person receives you, you feel kind of weird coming close to them? Uh, last week, Stephen had messed up, and it was one of those little goofy things that seven-year-old kids do. But he was terrified about telling me. And so I get home and... and and I walk into the, I shouldn't laugh about this. It's sincere for him, but it was funny to me. But I walk into the kitchen, and Lindsay says, hey, Stephen needs to tell you something that happened today. And, and, and she starts to crack, and she goes, it's, it's serious, though. You, 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 know, you need to listen to him. So I said, okay. I go and say, hey, buddy, uh, what happened? Something go on? And Stephen goes, oh, Dad. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. And, and uh, I, I don't really want to tell you, I, but I know I should. And he starts to hem and haw for 10 minutes. You know, I know I should, but I don't think I can. And I don't know what you'll say if I tell you this. And finally I said, son, what'd you do? And then he tells me some goofy little thing he did, picked on his sister in some way. He ends up hurting himself, not his sister. It wasn't a big deal. And I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, he has been worried about when I got home for four hours and then when I am home and all I want to do is just pick him up, hug him, and then throw him on the couch and wrestle with him, he is concerned about how to talk to his father because of something he did. Isn't it interesting that disobedience often keeps not the person who has been offended, but the one who offended away? If I want to be closer to God, if I want to have a confidence when I talk to him, part of it is just to realize that when I have sinned, I run to him, I don't run from him. But if I want this confidence, it is often just a matter of obedience. Does this make any sense at all? It's not that he's going, don't you come near, but it's rather for me to go, I can always come near to my daddy because he loves me. And then the last thing is this, if you don't know how to pray and you're just wanting some words to say, be silent, be brief, be honest, borrow from others' prayers, be open with others, be obedient, and finally is this last one, be persistent. All right, confession time. How many of you don't like to work out? Can I just see some hands from those who are honest in the room tonight? I won't ask you how many of you started a workout regiment. I won't ask how many of you quit that workout regiment the next day. But how many of us know that faith and prayer is an act of faith, that faith is like a muscle? It gets stronger with exercise. Also, the more you exercise, have you noticed the exercise gets easier? 
you can do that same level of weight more consistently, and then you put more weight on and you grow and you grow. In the same way, if you struggle with how to pray, don't give up. Keep at it. You say, well, that's a cop-out. That's why I have points one through six right here. This is your way of being persistent. Be silent. Let the Spirit speak. And then in that moment go, the Holy Spirit is talking. Thank you for hearing. Be brief. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, be with my children. Be honest with God. God, I'm mad at what's going on. I'm mad at the friend who left his family. I'm mad at this situation. I'm heartbroken over our nation. God, why? Be honest with him. He knows it. Why do you think, does God know your heart, family? He doesn't need your words to know what you're thinking. You need your words to know that he's listening. Borrow from others. Be open with others. Be obedient and just keep at it. Be persistent. What do you got, brother? Yeah. I should listen to you. I think maybe when we're trying to have a conversation mm. with God and we don't know what to say, maybe just being silent and realizing we're in God's presence, the Spirit may have a two way interpretation giving us an answer from God. Now, I know some of you, your Church of Christ background, your hair just kind of flew off your head on that one. <laughs> but did you hear this? Yeah. But did you hear this? Just remembering that you are in the presence of God and that the Spirit of God is actually real, that He, not it, He is real. And if He is talking to God, there may be just the chance that He'll want to talk to you as well and be ready to receive that. Well, I love that. That's good.